Today on the highlight reel, I've got some tea to spill on a title match at Full Gear that didn't go as planned. Hmm. There is some backstage heat on that as well. I'll delve into that. I've got some WWE 2K22 news for the gamers out there who love a good wrestling game as much as I do. Visual Concept indeed confirms GM Mode makes its return to WWE 2K22. And a host of other hopefully cool new features for the title. Plus... The hot mess Chelsea Green talks about joining AEW in 2022. Early indicators project AEW Full Gear to become the promotion's second highest grossing pay-per-view to date. I've got your spicy AEW Dynamite review and more on THR. R.I.P. Young Dolph. I gotta tell you, man, it seems like they only kill good rappers. <laughs> um, I swear to God, they only ever kill the good rappers. You know what I mean? Um, I got the news this morning that Young Dolph, uh, he's one of the few rappers that I used to like, you know, and, and uh, as far as modern rap goes. I mean, I'm a 90s kid, man. I grew up during the time of Pac and Biggie and Outkast, Andre 3000, Nas, Big L, you know, Big Pun. And when you grow up in an era like that, it's never going to be topped. That's like the Attitude Era, but for hip-hop, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's, I mean, well, the Attitude Era is overrated in my opinion, but <laughs> just using that as an analogy here. Um, so it's hard for me to like the rap music today or trap or whatever they got going on now I, I feel like at some point in the two in the mid 2000s um they really started to change the game you know change the genre up um it was a lot it just it's become a lot different and then soundcloud really took over and you had all these weirdos from soundcloud in the game um, and they can't even really rap like when they do freestyles, you know, um, they, they just, they sound sad, man. <laughs> like you can't even, it's cringe. You can't even, uh, <clears throat> listen to it or watch it. Excuse me. But, um, yeah, man, Young Dolph, that gelato, that gelato record, Bulletproof and Thinking Out Loud back to back, you know, in 2017, 2018, I was listening to all of that and it was, you know, a nice jams to bump when you're on your way to work and you're doing things and he just had that voice for the music. You know, to me, a successful rapper, I'm going to get into the wrestling stuff right now. I just got to do this little uh, speech for Young Dolph because he is a, <clears throat> one of my favorite rappers right now and he, he, he died 
yesterday and i can't believe it so r.i.p the young Dolph, man um i definitely appreciated his music he had the voice for rap music you know it's to survive in rap music you gotta have a certain voice in my opinion you know because rap is not like any other genre of music you know where for an example if it's rock music you know it don't matter the kind of voice necessarily as long as they play good right as long as they're good guitar players and i mean like i'm a big metallica fan and i remember in the early 2000s james hetfield's voice was kind of <laughs> not good let's just say during that same anger holy shit i don't know what happened <laughs> with that same anger album but it doesn't matter it, even if his voice sounds shitty when you see them live and stuff it's okay because the music saves them right fade to black um all, all the all the awesome songs that they have you know battery master of puppets blackened etc 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 but in rap music Rappers can't depend on their beats. The, the beat could only do so much. Of course, it'll get them dancing or whatever if you have a banger of a beat. But, you know, the voice is heavily depended upon. And guys like Young Dolph, he had that voice that keeps your attention. Captures you and keeps your attention. And you believe what he's saying. And you actually buy into the trap persona the drug lord persona and whatever they're going for right that's the big thing in, in music now in rap music is trap right it's the whole drug lord stuff i get it so it's believable when it came from young Dolph, man all these other rappers though i don't know man you know what i mean they, they, they always kill the good ones and all the whack ones are still alive <laughs> i ain't gonna say no names anyway aw dynamite popped off last night it was an uh, awesome show i was gonna say amazing it was amazing but it was it was an awesome show i enjoyed it from top to bottom it was a lot of fun i gotta tell you man aw dynamite it doesn't feel like a two-hour show it feels like it goes by in an hour you know it's something to see it's something to see it reminds me of og lucha underground I remember Lucha Underground was an hour, but it, it, it flew by. They told so many good stories and really captured you, uh, kept you, kept your attention. And AEW Dynamite feels like an episode of Lucha Underground. You know, even though it's two hours, it feels like it's one hour and it flies by with all of these great storylines and great performances, great matches. Of course, Dynamite does not have the benefit of being edited, being a live show. Uh, so that's what makes it all the more impressive. Now, speaking of impressive, early estimations indicate AEW Full Gear 2021 is set to become the company's second highest grossing pay-per-view to date. Brandon Thurston reports that Full Gear 2021 is measuring at about 145,000 buys. This number is an early estimate reflecting all pay-per-view buys, whether they are worldwide, traditional, digital, live, or late. It is also noted that traditional cable and satellite distributors take longer to report their numbers. Additionally, late buy numbers will also affect final results. Reportedly, between pay-per-view, tickets, and merchandise, the event likely generated approximately $4 million. Uh, this is only behind All Out. Uh, which is believed to have generated more than $5 million, driven by an estimated 205,000 pay-per-view buys. 
It is also reported, however, that the estimated 145,000 worldwide pay-per-view buys would mean approximately $7 million total in revenue. Additionally, if merchandise sold at the venue was about, say, $15 per ticket sold, then that would mean an additional $150,000. Well-deserved. I mean, y'all could you know receive my round of applause at any moment here uh, well deserved because this was an incredible show uh really aw has been killing it lately with um i mean really ever since malachi black debuted ever since cm punk brian danielson they really got the ball rolling this is a new era in aew right before our eyes unfolding and it's kind of unbeknownst to a lot of fans that are just you know, they're used to AEW doing spectacular things, but a lot of people aren't realizing we're seeing a new era developing in AEW. This is the era of star power. You know, let's be real. Let's be real for a second. I, as much as I love AEW, I'm a fanboy for sure. I won't even get offended if you call me an AEW mark. But at the very beginning, 2019, the company's inception, they didn't really have star power. Besides Chris Jericho, that was it. Jericho was it and as much as I love Jericho I call him the goat every single week <laughs> I call him the greatest of all time every single week and I stand by that in my opinion there's not been another wrestler who has reinvented himself more often and more efficiently effectively as Jericho has in in the last two decades now, couple that with his in-ring work and staying relevant well into his late 40s, early 50s. I mean, come on. Uh, but anyway, Jericho was the only real star AEW had from the jump. You know what I'm saying? So they've been meticulously building and developing other stars along the way, like Sammy Guevara, like Adam Page, like uh, Darby Allin, and Jungle Boy, the pillars, right? They've been methodically, meticulously giving, massaging these guys, right? And massaging their growth and development along the way. And they've done a fantastic job. Um, but ever since Malachi Black and CM Punk and Brian Danielson made their debut, as well as Adam Cole, these guys right here, they really changed the game. I, really, I just want to say CM Punk. I just don't want to disregard the other guys. But really, real talk. Once CM Punk debuted on that historic episode of Rampage, that's what really turned the tides here as far as AEW having the star power. Now they have the ammo that's going to open more eyes to their product. And in the end, in the long run, it's going to grow the product um, exponentially from where they were at in the beginning. And I am absolutely on board and excited for AEW's growth. I have a rumor killer alert, guys. Warner Media is not limiting the women's roster in AEW to only one match per show. Apparently, there's been a long-standing rumor that AEW is only allowed to feature one women's match per episode of Dynamite. According to Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful Select, this has officially been debunked 
while having consulted sources from within both AEW and TNT. There is no edict by Warner Media of only one women's match. In fact, apparently, Warner Media isn't even concerned <laughs> with what goes on in the ring. Their main concern is said to be strong social media engagements as well as good ratings above all else. So that's a rumor that I've actually never heard before um, up to this point. This is my first time hearing about that, that rumor that supposedly the women's division is only limited to one match per AEW Dynamite. That's news to me. I never heard that rumor and I'm glad that it's false. It's been debunked. I am aware of the criticism of AEW's women's division and how they're booked, how the women have been booked. Um, I myself have criticized the women's division, but not because of how the women have been used, but rather just because they don't have a talented women's roster up to par to take it to the next level. Um, I, I absolutely disagree with the notion that AEW hasn't been using their women right. Um, there, I mean, come on, they just introduced a secondary women's title. We're only two years into this promotion and they introduce a secondary women's title. They have a tournament going on to determine the, the new TBS champion uh, in the women's division. Uh, they're, they're methodically building up women's wrestlers right now through this tournament. You know, and, and I mean, look at Ty Conti. This is a woman here that uh, seemingly as green as grass, you know, and now she just had a pay-per-view matchup with the champ, Britt Baker, and she had a coming out party, really. She was absolutely impressive. She was showcased, and not just in that pay-per-view matchup, but in uh, the prior TV tapings. I don't know if it was Dynamite or Rampage where she had that, that tag team match. Or she was all over the place. I said it. She was. She really impressed me. Um, I think AEW is doing a fantastic job and making an effort to develop their women's roster. I don't get the criticism there. I've criticized the women's roster not for not on AEW's part for how they're using them, just on the performers themselves that they're not up to par because they're not. When you look at WWE's women's roster, come on, man, Charlotte Flair. Bianca Belair, Asuka, you know what I'm saying? Um, uh, Sasha Banks, um, <clears throat> Bailey, Bailey. I mean, the the list goes on and on. Even even Impact Wrestling, they got Diana Purrazzo. That's all you need right there. You know, they got they got the Virtuosa. Um, you know, NWA. They even have a nice women's roster. I like um, Allison Kay and Marty Bell. Marty Bell, I, I've had a crush on her since <laughs> the Mae Young Women's Classic or whatever it was called on the WWE Network. Um, ROH, Roxy, and, and all the... I'm just saying, AEW's women's roster, who do they got? Britt Baker, that's it. You know, and they're trying. They just brought in Ruby Soho. Chris Statlander has stepped her game up. Um, but they've been laid to pastures. Thunder Rosa, she has a story to tell with Britt Baker. That's inevitable. But time is of the essence. We need to develop it. We need to build it. They need to let it simmer. They can't rush um, and just jump into the program just because she's the answer. You know, that's not how it works. To really capitalize and extract the juices out of your performers and out of your 
potential matchups, you got to build it. You got to season it up a little bit. Put a little salt, put a little pepper, put a little Goya, Sazon, <laughs> put a little Goya. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's all I got to say about that. And, and I'm glad that rumor was debunked, though, because if that were true, wow, that would be really fucked if that were true. Now, speaking of women's wrestling, when questioned about potentially joining AEW, uh, Chelsea Green said, maybe 2022 is my year. Since being released by WWE in April, Green has popped up in Ring of Honor, Impact Wrestling, GCW, and other independent promotions. Speaking with Samira of WrestlingNews.co, Green would say, quote-unquote, The only promotion I haven't done is AEW. I've done everything else, but has yet to step in the official AEW ring. I was at All In, the only female match on the card, but it's time to explore that option. It's something I haven't explored in the past six months. Maybe 2022 is my year. I actually really like Chelsea Green. Um, I've seen her work a little bit, but I'm not impressed with her work in the ring as much as I'm impressed with her overall look and personality. And she just has a charm about her, man. She has a certain charisma. Like, she's not the best-looking uh, women's worker there is. I'll just, I'm just to be real. But just she just has a certain intangible charm about her. Like, she, it's her personality. She seems like the kind of girl that you could have a lot of fun with. You know what I mean? And I see that popping out of her face out of her character visually speaking she just looks like she's a bundle of fun a joy to be around she she gives me that aura it emanates from the screen i'm really putting her over right now because i don't mean a shit on her in-ring work i'm just saying i'm not really impressed with her in-ring work but i think that chelsea green has potential to if nothing else be a very good personality on a wrestling show like dynamite or rampage i could totally see her um, stepping her game up in the ring as well. Uh, she can't be any more worse than Jade Cargill <laughs> or somebody like that. You feel me? Um, so, Jade, uh, so Chelsea Green is in addition to the AEW women's roster that I would not mind seeing in the least. Let's get into the AEW Dynamite review, shall we? Dynamite opens up with the highlights of the epic Full Gear card last Saturday. We then cut to the backstage area where the Elite are having an awkward little meeting. Omega claims he hasn't watched the, the match back from Full Gear. The Elite lost the night. He actually congrats Hangman. Um, he says he's got a lot of things he needs to fix and that he needs to change. But he can't do it here. And this seems to indicate that he is going to take a hiatus. And he says, so if I can't count on you to hold the... Uh, so if I can count on you to hold the fort together, I'd really appreciate it as he looks to his side. Uh, <clears throat> Adam Cole would say, I got you, cleaner. I got this. Don't worry. Kenny chuckles and says, uh, sorry, I was talking about the Bucks. As the segment comes to a close. So that's some interesting story development there between Adam Cole and Kenny Omega. But quickly, I do want to touch on... Uh, Kenny Omega's hiatus that he will be taking and there ain't no telling how long Kenny Omega will be out of action but I read that he will be undergoing several surgeries um, as I mentioned in the last episode Kenny Omega wrestled that title match with injured shoulders guys he's he's 
He's been, you know, I mean, he's been facing bouts of vertigo since 2018. I myself have never experienced vertigo before. Not that I can recall, but I know judging by what I've heard about it, it's not fun at all. It's not a pleasant experience. So couple that with injured shoulders and a host of other nagging injuries that he's been holding off to be the ultimate workhorse for AEW. So this is a break well-deserved. And, you know... I've been saying that Tony Khan needs to hit the brakes on signing so many, you know, top talent. And you know what? Um, I, I get it now. Like, I'm beginning to see, you know, like, Kenny Omega's going away. John Moxley is currently away. Ain't no telling when either of these guys will be back. And guess what? Nobody's gonna miss them. <laughs> and I don't mean that... <laughs> I don't mean that, like, you know, nobody cares about them. What I'm saying is... They're they're completely fine being away because we have Brian Danielson. We have CM Punk. We still have Adam Cole. We still have MJF, Jungle Boy, Sammy Guevara. The list goes on and on. And you know, I remember when AEW was forming, just going off on a tangent here. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about um <clears throat> Omega and, and and Paige having some kind of development, but I remember AEW was talking about potentially having an off season in the beginning does anybody remember that any aew fanboys out there if you can recall that um hit me up lalo underscore thr on the gram and the twitter but i seem to remember that tony khan was trying to push for like off season for the boys for the wrestlers you know so they can get a break and I always speculated on that. How would an off-season work in pro wrestling? It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, it's not a legitimate sport. You know, it's not a legitimate sport. But wrestling is a very physical, hard... It's hard on your body. You know, it's a physical competition that's hard... Or physical performance, I should say. That's very hard on your body. How in the world could an off-season logistically work in wrestling though and i think we're getting the answer right before our eyes as tony khan is hiring so many people that way the wrestlers that need the time off like in and kenny omega like a john moxley and and adam page for that matter the champ let's not forget he just took a hiatus as he was about to have a baby with his wife so this is how it could work you know, um, it'll it'll be like a good portion of guys who take a well-deserved break when they need it. And they're going to have plenty of guys to replace them in their wake. And that's why he's gobbling up so many talents. Because this is how they're going to try to implement an off-season. It won't literally be an off-season, not for everybody, but for those handful of talents who will absolutely occasionally need their time off. It's going to happen. They'll get it. Because there's plenty of other guys to fill the void. Adam Adam Cole and Kenny Omega, they're going to have an epic rivalry, guys. Whenever whenever Kenny Omega returns, he's going to be a monster babyface. I mean, a huge babyface. As well as John Moxley, for that matter, too. Um, I, I have a feeling John Moxley will return much sooner than Kenny Omega. That's just speculation on my part. But either way... Um, both of these guys are going to come back as big babyface, I think. I really think so. And a feud between Adam Cole as he takes over the Elite. 
Um, and Kenny Omega, as he perhaps reunites with Kota Ibushi. You know what they call the Golden Lovers or whatever? <laughs> the Golden Angels. I don't know what. I don't know much about it, but I read they were a tandem in Japan. There's a lot of things they can do, though. There's so many scenarios here. We got rumors of uh, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn potentially jumping ship to AEW. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn could reunite with the Bucks and and Adam Cole um, and. Actually, the Bucks could stay with Kenny Omega as KO and Sami Zayn unite with um, Adam Page. Uh, Adam Cole, rather. Um, yeah, that's a problem when all these guys' names are the same. <laughs> I've been mixing up. We got Adam Page, Adam Cole. Um, yeah, I don't know. But it's interesting nonetheless. And I like that the show opened with kind of some clarity for Kenny Omega losing the championship you know that was a very good way to start the show hangman adam page the brand new aew world champion has a celebration ceremony as john silver flanked by the dark order introduces adam page to a nice little pop from the virginia crowd the crowd begins with the you deserve it chance and page quickly corrects them saying i didn't deserve it i effing earned it and that's the ultimate line right there i didn't deserve it i earned it Indeed, as Adam Page rallies the crowd proclaiming it National Cowboy Shit Day, but the moment he plugs the new number one contender, Brian Danielson, no time is wasted as Brian Danielson comes marching to the ring. I love his theme song so much, I really do. Um, the crowd goes off with the yes chance, and unbeknownst to them, it's about to go. Brian is about to turn heel. Um, as Brian says, he's Kind of disappointed his match is with Paige instead of Kenny Omega. To which Paige replied that he managed to beat Omega in less than 30 minutes, alluding to Brian's time limit draw with Omega at Grand Slam, uh, Grand Slam in Arthur Ashe Stadium. Brian says, when I won the world championship at WrestleMania, I wrestled the very next day. That was the full-blown heel turn right there, ladies and gentlemen. He actually mentioned wwe wrestlemania on aew tv that was like a big holy shit moment for me uh personally because i never thought i would hear any wrestler talk about wrestlemania on aew obviously wrestlemania is the biggest event in pro wrestling and definitely the biggest event in wwe <laughs> that you know so that is crazy they begin to tease wrestling um, they begin to tease their match, uh, potentially having a match there in Virginia. But much to the chagrin of the fans, Danielson will take on Evil Uno instead. Um, and it makes sense for Brian to go heel, you know, now that I think about it. I, I wasn't up for it in the beginning. Um, that's another reason why I was salty about Miro losing that that world title eliminator at full gear against Brian Danielson. Because um, I like Brian as a babyface right now. I, I felt like it's kind of too soon to turn heel. But it makes sense. Because listen, Kenny Omega is gone. And ain't no telling when he's going to come back. So we have the American Dragon, Brian Danielson, to fill, his, fill, fill in for him. Um, I cannot talk today, guys. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I cannot talk today. I'm just... Um, <clears throat> mumbling and going terribly wrong with my words right now i think i need to eat <laughs> but anyway um 
Brian Danielson and Adam Page would have a little brawl. Of course, they would they would quickly be separated by the Dark Order goons. Um, Adam Page is way too good to be associated with the Dark Order. I'm sorry. I know people like the Dark Order. I, I don't know. I, I just feel like he's way too good to be associated with them, you know? Um, but that's just me. That's just me. Brian Danielson takes on Evil Uno. Now, you want to know how good Brian Danielson is? You really want to know? Brian Danielson made Evil freaking Uno look like a world beater here. He, he made... Brian Daniel he Brian Danielson made Evil Uno look like a million dollars in this match. And that's how freaking good Brian Danielson is. And of course, the American Dragon picks up the victory via submission using a triangle choke in the post-match. Brian would be interviewed by Tony Schiavone. Uh, Brian basically continues to solidify his heel turn here and says he's going to take out every member of the Dark Order and kick all their heads in. Uh, as he sets up a match between himself and Colt Cabana in Chicago next week. How many matches has Brian Danielson won via submission now? Um, I know he made Miro tap out. I believe he made... Who did he make? He made somebody tap out in the go-home show to full gear with a guillotine choke, I believe it was. Uh, or, or something. Or a single leg Boston Crab, I remember. And they were like, yeah, Brian Danielson could win a match with anything, with any maneuver. So I like, I dig it. I like how they're really pushing Brian as a guy who's a wrestler's wrestler. Who can, who, who he doesn't need a finisher, right? He ends his matches the way he wants to, making, making people quit, making people tap because he's just that good. And Cole Cabana, I'm happy to see him have a look. I don't see him fitting in with the Dark Order. I feel like Cole Cabana's personality and character just doesn't mesh well with Dark Order-like characters. I don't know. That's just me, once again. I feel like Cole Cabana should go solo dolo right now. I cannot wait for the time to come when Colt Cabana and CM Punk have some kind of interaction. And I'm not going to get into why. If you know, you know. Eddie Kingston and Daniel Garcia set up a match. When we come back from a commercial break, Tony Schiavone is now backstage. I tell you, man, Tony really earns his freaking paychecks on these shows. Um, but he's backstage interviewing Eddie Kingston when 2.0 and Daniel Garcia interrupt. 2.0 gloats that their son, Daniel Garcia, lasted longer with CM Punk than Eddie did. And of course, Eddie would clown on Garcia for letting two men call him son. And now we have a match set up for next week's Dynamite. Eddie Kingston, Daniel Garcia should be a good match. I, I really think Eddie should pick up the W here. And I think he is. I think he's going to nab the W. And who knows where he goes from here. But I, I hope this begins like a, I don't know, a, a streak of wins for Eddie. And like a small little push for him towards perhaps the TNT title. Because he deserves it. And I think everybody would be happy to see Eddie Kingston holding on to the TNT title. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I, I love Eddie Kingston, man. There isn't a single talent in the world of wrestling that's more believable than Eddie. Even in this segment here, man, when he got up in Daniel's face and shoved him and everything. And, you know, um, he, he's just completely 100% real there's nothing artificial on Eddie Kingston in the slightest and you love to see it 
Orange Cassidy and Tomohiro Ishii take on the Butcher and the Blade. This is a continuation of the never-ending feud between Orange Cassidy and the Hardy family office, which I'm absolutely sick of, to be quite honest. With that said, it was nice to see this Tomohiro Ishii guy have a moment in the sun on AEW programming. He's a very shoot worker type of guy. Like he's kind of like a Japanese version of Taz or OG Ken Shamrock. You know, he's got that that look. Like he's a legitimate fighter. Um, yeah, I mean he's you know he's like in MMA fighter trunks and everything. Uh, and his style of work is in that fashion as well. Strong style. Um, and Ishii would get he would get in a massive superplex off the top rope, exhibiting his incredible strength against the Butcher. Ishii would nail Butcher with his patented brain buster for the pinfall victory. You know, this Tomohiro Ishii guy was presented as a big deal, but it didn't come off like that on TV because he didn't get much of a reaction from the crowd in Virginia. I gotta tell you, man, that crowd in Virginia wasn't... Eh, it, it, I mean, they, of course, had a good reaction for the hometown boy in um, Adam Page and stuff. But besides that, they were kind of they were kind of asleep, man. I don't know. Um, then again, they're probably just as sick of this Orange Cassidy, Matt Hardy garbage <laughs> as much as I am. I don't know. But um, either way, it was cool. I, I'm, I'm digging this partnership with NJPW and AEW. Hopefully it continues and we see more guys come through. And Will Osprey would be a nice would be a nice addition to the Forbidden Door, let me tell you. Tony Schiavone interviews Andrade El Idolo and FTR backstage. Have a gander at this. Andrade, you know, you guys are very, very frustrated after your losses at Full Gear. Seriously, this question? Well, totally. Sorry. Okay. Yes, sorry. Cody, back. I have proved that I am better wrestler than you. I beat you both clean. But now, I will show you my bad side. Yeah, Tony, I think it's pretty safe to say we're frustrated because we were supposed to make history at Full Gear to set. I wasn't even the legal man. We were we were robbed. So if uh, if Pack and Cody would have put their nose in our business, the Lucha Bros would have robbed us. Why don't we get Malachi and make it an eight man tag? Mm -hmm. And you know what? We'll even we'll even waive our fee for this one. So this Three. is personal. And you know, Arn, you want to stick your nose in? I'm not Jose. I got one more in me. Oh, huevos. Huevos. Big huevos. Yes. Big. <laughs> yes. Big. <laughs> you gotta love it. That was a, a hilarious backstage interview segment there. I'm loving this tandem of Andrade El Idolo with FTR, you know? And also, a, a, he has association, affiliation, let's say, with Malachi Black as well. I'm loving it, and I can't wait to see where this goes. I want to see more <laughs> backstage promos like this from Andrade and FTR as a tandem like this. This is great stuff. Um, so it's set, yeah, the uh, eight-man tag featuring Andrade, El Idolo, FTR, and Malachi Black taking on the Lucha Bros, Cody, and Pac will take place on the taped Thanksgiving edition of Dynamite next week on the 24th.
The TBS title tournament quarterfinals popped off with Hikaru Shida taking on Nyla Rose. Ahead of the match, Britt Baker would cut a backstage promo with her crew proclaiming that the AEW women's division need to step their game up. I concur. There is nobody else left for her to face at this point. They also build toward Jamie Hayter's quarterfinal matchup against Thunder Rosa. You know what? Um, as far as Nyla Rose and Hikaru Shida, man, this was actually kind of a fun match. Dare I say it. And dare I say it, I'm totally digging Nyla Rose advancing in the tournament. Yeah, I said it. And you know, the match, it started off kind of choppy, kind of sloppy. They were, um, you know, working, but it just looked a little, a little sloppy in the beginning, but they really stepped their game up. I got to say, Nyla Rose has improved tremendously. And that wicked spot she took, killing the freaking steel chair as she did a diving senton to Sheeta, who was seated on the chair, to the outside. Of course, Sheeta would get the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> Thank God. And Nyla flattens the steel chair. That was a great spot, a great visual. As Hikaru Shida then defends herself against a conniving Vicky Guerrero who tries to assault her with her own candlestick that she comes out with um, as part of her entrance presentation. Shida would wail away on Vicky Guerrero with the candlestick as we cut to commercial break. Upon returning from commercial break, this wasn't picture in picture by the way, it is apparent that the native beast Nyla Rose had regained control of the match. Um, Serena Deeb! Once again, laying low there at ringside within the crowd makes her presence felt once again, causing shenanigans in a Shida matchup, continuing her rivalry, clipping Hikaru Shida's legs to which Nyla would take advantage and tap her out with the muffler stretch submission hold. So now it's official, Nyla Rose will now take on the winner of Chris Statlander, Ruby Soho in the semis. Now... I just want to go off on a tangent here. That muffler stretch submission hold. <laughs> I love that submission, the way it looks and everything. Back in the day on the OG WWE SmackDown games on PlayStation, I used to spam that move, yo, with Brock Lesnar. I would be Brock Lesnar. <laughs> and instead of spamming German suplexes and stuff, I would spam that muffler stretch <laughs> submission. <laughs> just because I like the way it looks. It just looks sick. Um, and by the way, I got some... A lot of news, a host of news on WWE 2K22 um, later on in the show. So stay tuned for that for all my gamers out there. Um, yeah, man, like I said, Nyla Rose, you know what? Uh, call it what you will. I, I like Nyla Rose now. I, I think she's improving um, and I think she's paid her dues. You know, I know when AEW first popped off and she was like already in, in in vying for the women's championship i did not want her to be the first women's champion because she didn't pay her dues well now she has been paying her dues man i i've been saying nyla's like a jobber these days right but she's paying her dues and i like how how she be talking shit during the matches too and like <laughs> like yelling into the camera stuff you know and i <laughs> I find it entertaining, honestly, to see her just beat the brakes out of all these <laughs> ladies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Nyla Rose for president. <laughs> I want to see it. MJF cuts an in-ring promo 
And he pretty much confirms what we all already know, that he's a wrestler who checks all the boxes, man. He's a good talker. He's got the look. He can go. He's the past, present, and future of pro wrestling daddy. He also confirms he has his eyes set on the AEW championship and exclaims that nobody is on his level. And all of a sudden, cult of personality hits. The crowd erupts for the first time, really, since the opening segment. The crowd starts chanting, holy shit, as CM Punk is face-to-face -face with MJF in the middle of the ring. The fans are chanting, holy shit. Ladies and gentlemen, this is how you can tell when a wrestler is quote-unquote over. You know, when you got two guys, not even, they're not throwing any punches they're not get, they're not in any wrestling holds. They're not jumping around doing gymnastics, flying around the ring. No. These guys are just making eye contact with each other in the middle of the ring and you got the audience chanting holy shit. <laughs> you love to see it. MJF would extend his hand to Punk and introduce himself. Punk then smirks, chuckles, and full-blown laughs at MJF as he walks away without saying a single word. This was a grade A segment and a nice way to begin a program between Punk and MJF. I will admit, I will admit I was kind of low-key disappointed though. I really wanted to hear Punk say something to MJF, but we got to wait on it. You know what I mean? MJF, uh, AEW, they don't rush anything. We got to wait on it. I'm going to tell you right now, guys. This program is going to produce some amazing promos. You guys have no idea how great this is going to be. Or perhaps you do. I just feel like people done forgot how good Punk is on the mic. You know, he's been this good guy, babyface, and working with the youngsters and stuff. But people forget when, when Punk turns it on on that microphone, he turns it on. Full volume. You know what I mean? And it, this is going to be insane i cannot wait for the promos between punk and mjf and the match and i'm sure they're gonna make magic in that ring mjf should be the guy who hands cm punk his first loss in aew and i also believe in addition to that mjf should be the guy that takes the title off of adam page i was about to say adam cole again <laughs> jesus christ yeah um it makes sense. I don't want to see Brian Danielson hold the title just yet. You know, Brian Danielson doesn't need any title. Okay. He's a made man along with Punk. You know, MJF should be the guy that takes the strap off of Adam Page's shoulder. And the heat that he's going to get, you know, I mean, it's, it's going to be insane. I, I cannot wait for all of this stuff to develop. It's going to take some time. Um, but yeah, Punk and MJF, wow, this is going to be very entertaining. And that's an understatement in itself. The Gun Club interrupt a Darby Allen backstage promo, setting up a singles match between Billy Gunn and Darby Allen tomorrow night on Rampage. Now, I wasn't going to talk about this. In fact, the only reason I'm bringing it up is because I thought it'd be interesting to mention that Billy Gunn and the Gun Club, they seem to have like a Twitter feud going on right now with Dan Hawson. Um, now, Dan Hawson, uh, ROH faithful, uh, 
I don't know much about this guy. I've seen him. I've I've seen some of his uh, interviews. Right. I heard him on Talk Is Jericho. Um, I heard him in different various interviews doing media and this guy is so over man like people love this guy it's kind of like hook it's kind of like hook man don you know what that's like a perfect comparison dan hausen is kind of like hook where they're like tremendously over and loved and appreciated by the fans and i don't quite know why i mean i, I mean at least I, I respect the fact that on the part of Dan Hawson, he has done some work in the ring, as far as I know. Um, Hook hasn't done any work in the ring. But uh, yeah, these guys are both just inexplicably adored. I get it on the part of Dan Hawson. I guess it's for his character. Um, he's got a very, let's just say, unique character. Um, but I'm wondering if perhaps Darby Allen and uh, Billy Gunn in their match perhaps this could be an entryway for dan hawson to debut on aew i've been seeing the signs in the audience guys there was a big dan hawson sign at full gear um i've been seeing the sign dan hawson signs uh at aew live events so i'm not gonna say it's inevitable that dan hawson is gonna make a debut with aew across through the forbidden door but it does seem like it's it's like peanut butter and jelly. You know, Dan Hawson would fit right into the mold with AEW. I mean, even if he's just a guy that does skits and does promos and sets up matches, perhaps. I don't I don't know what he can do in the ring as far as his ring work. I don't know what he has to offer. But I know that he is an indelible character that people like. So in that respect, I wouldn't mind seeing Dan Hawson. I, I have expressed... Uh, in the past that i don't really like dan hawson I, I don't really get it his his shtick but again that's just me you know i'm not gonna sit here and uh my my opinion isn't the be all end all at all <laughs> whatsoever you know as you can hear today i i've been stammering and stuttering over my words i can't even talk today but yeah um I'm going to watch this match and I'm going to keep a close eye on it because it would be very cool if Dan Hawson does something with Darby Allen and Sting. You know, they all got painted faces. <laughs> so there you have it. They're, they're going to be the painted faces team. Don A. Martin and Leo Rush take on the acclaimed in tag action. Now, <laughs> the highlight of Caster's rap disc this week is... Hey, Leo, you nothing but an amateur. In fact, I think I like you better as a manager. Now, this is a very, very good line because, in case you don't know, Leo Rush was booked as a manager in WWE at one point. Hard to believe it, um, but he was the mouthpiece for Bobby Lashley. Um, and I think that act lasted for like about a year, if I'm not mistaken. I know it was before uh, <laughs> the big Lana, Bobby Lashley, uh, Miro love triangle uh angle that they did it was like right before that um <clears throat> leo rush was the mouthpiece for bobby lashley which was really bizarre because again you see how leo performs in the ring now watching leo rush work a match does this should this guy be managing when he could work like that <laughs> no no not at all he should not be a manager he should be wrestling because he's freaking amazing He's a talented guy. He has no business being a mouthpiece for anybody. Um, he's not even that... I mean, 
he's okay on the microphone, but not like to the level to be a manager, a mouthpiece, like a Paul Heyman or, or you know what I mean? Something like that. It's just, it's not, it's not on that level. Um, now in the ring, Leo Rush is on several different levels as both Bowens and Caster would get dropped hard for their troubles as Leo and Dante shot out the ring like speeding bullets before the bell even rang. Leo Rush ultimately picks up the pinfall victory using a frog splash off the top rope, getting tremendous height in the post-match. Team Taz continued their request for Dante Martin to join their stable. Now, Ricky Starks was on the mic, and he he's just gone full-blown with the 90s rock look. He's really running with... You know, the idea that he's like a young rock. There's been so many people on Reddit and Twitter and social media comparing Ricky Starks to The Rock. A 1990s rock, you know. And I, I again, I don't get it at all. I really don't. I say that every week. I don't understand the Ricky Starks rock comparisons. I mean, seeing him dressed up as rock, I know it's the 25th anniversary or whatever of rock's uh, career. So that's a nice tribute, but I mean, he kind of looks like a young rock, I suppose, way skinnier, but on the mic, he's nowhere near the level of the rock on the, on the stick, nowhere near, not even a hair. He, he, you know, and, and that's not to say that Ricky Starks isn't chariz charismatic. I'm not saying that Ricky Starks doesn't have charisma. I'm not saying that he doesn't have mic skills or ability to talk. And cut a promo. I'm not saying that. So please guys. Don't uh, misconstrued what I'm saying. All I'm saying is. Is that. The Rock. The Rock and his charisma. And Mike. Promo cutting ability. Whatever you want to call it. It's on a. It's on a whole nother stratosphere guys. Very few people. Are on that stratosphere. You know. It's The Rock. And a very very small handful of guys. Who can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with The Rock. Ricky Starks is not one of them. And again, again, that's not to say <laughs> that he's not charismatic. I got a lot of shit on Reddit. Um, when I when I uh, say in the in the AEW uh, conversations during the live watch-alongs, right, of Dynamite and Rampage. Um, I always say I don't I don't understand Ricky Starks being compared to The Rock. I get down I get downvoted to Infinity. <laughs> Nobody likes. And also he uh Riho. Oh my god, you cannot say nothing about Riho on the AEW subreddit. Holy shit. <laughs> That's I ain't going to open that can of worms. But yeah, I I The Rock is on another level, man. Uh Ricky Starks is great, don't get me wrong. He ain't he ain't even close to The Rock though. Let, let's come on. I, I don't know what people are saying, but nonetheless, I love this storyline with all these factions, all these teams trying to recruit Dante Martin. I think it's very, very cool to see this unfolding and where it goes. You know, maybe we'll have like a battle of factions for for the services of Dante Martin. That would be really cool. And speaking of really, really cool. The TNT Championship main event pops off as Sammy Guevara defends the title to de debuting legend Jay Lethal. And I haven't watched Jay Lethal perform in such a long time. I forgot how fast he is. It actually caught me by surprise to see Jay Lethal keeping up with the quickness of Sammy Guevara. 
And the story of this match isn't just the debut of Lethal, nor is it about the TNT title, but the commentators were really putting over the tape wrapped around Sammy's ribs. Apparently, Sammy has injured ribs um, as he is essentially wrestling with bruised ribs. So the gutsy youngster defeats the veteran in Jay Lethal, retaining his TNT strap with bruised ribs. Sammy would connect the GTH for the pinfall victory. The show closes with the inner circle coming out to the ring and celebrating with their stablemate. And a classy handshake between Sammy Guevara and Jay Lethal as we go off the air. You know, losing your debut match doesn't hurt you in the slightest. And everybody, everybody knows who Jay Lethal is. He's one of the few guys who really made a name for themselves on the indies before going to any major promotion. Um, and, and really, the only major promotion he was with is TNA, if you even want to consider that a major promotion, which I got some news on them in the news section, by the way. Jeff Jarrett uh, comparing T uh, AEW to TNA back when he was running it. I'll get into that. But anyway... Jay Lethal made a big name for himself on the indies, you know, and he's a standout. Everybody knows him. If you're an AEW faithful, you know who Jay Lethal is. Come on, man. He's, he's again, like peanut butter and jelly. Jay Lethal in AEW, he fits right in, and he's going to do great things. I can see him winning the TNT strap down the line. Um, for now, AEW needs to continue to push their homegrowns, their, uh, their pillars, you know, they're OG talent before they start putting the strap on guys who are just coming in. You know, there was actually quite a few people um, talking about Jay Lethal winning the title on his debut. I think I was one of them, actually. <laughs> I've been kind of jaded with Guevara's title run. I think his TNT title run has been kind of mediocre, kind of like Lucha Bros and their tag title run. You know what I mean? And now we're taking the steps in the right direction. Lucha Bros overcoming FTR. Sammy Guevara overcoming Jay Lethal. Nonetheless, I can't wait for Jay Lethal. I mean, there's a plethora of matches for him. You know, Jay Lethal Darby Allen. Jay Lethal Ray Phoenix. <laughs> Take my freaking money. You know what I mean? Jay Lethal and Ethan Page. Jay Lethal Scorpio Sky. I mean, the it's endless. There's so many matches that can be made. Um, and much, much entertainment awaits in the coming years i don't it remains to be seen how long jay lethal uh keeps it up man he's in his late 30s he's been doing this for so long but i'm happy to see him um have his sunshine in AEW, and definitely his debut at full gear was also very fun um very unexpected i was actually thinking perhaps mr Wyndham rotunda bray wyatt making his debut at full gear didn't happen nonetheless i've said this before and i'll say it again AEW Dynamite does not feel like a two-hour show in the slightest. This episode flew by like one of Elon Musk's rockets, SpaceX. <laughs> this episode was riddled with good matches, storytelling. It's going to be exciting to see what becomes of the elite in the absence of Kenny Omega. We got some foreshadowing of Adam Cole perhaps taking Kenny's spot as the new leader and a giant feud brewing between the two. CM Punk and MJ freaking F are going to have some earth-shattering verbal exchanges within the next few weeks, guys. You don't want to miss it. 
And you thought Eddie Kingston and CM Punk shared a one-of-a-kind promo on Rampage? Pfft. Wait until you see MJF bring out the best in CM Punk. Because again, I'm beginning to think y'all forgot just how good CM Punk is on the mic. I cannot wait. This was a 10 out of 10 episode for me. Two thumbs, way up. AEW Dynamite, must see TV. So apparently an AEW full gear title match um, finish didn't go as originally planned. In regards to the Lucha Bros successful title defense against FTR, AEW president Tony Khan did mention during the post full gear media scrum that Dax Harwood was rocked during the match and Cash Wheeler had to finish it up for him. Fightful Select provided some additional details regarding this as they were told Harwood was either knocked out or nearly knocked out <laughs> by Ray Phoenix 10 minutes into the match. And as a result, Harwood was not able to work a good portion of the remainder of the matchup. Now, regarding Ray Phoenix, who has been known to be a stiff worker in the past, it was said that some talent on the roster took issue with him not checking up on Harwood to see if he was okay after the match. Uh, the report pointed out how this wasn't considered major heat, but the talent we spoke to said it was common courtesy to check in. The original plan was for Harwood to be part of the finish as he would be playing up that the illegal man got pinned. Wow, you know guys, this right here, this story really is mind-blowing to me. Because when I watched the Lucha Bros uh, FTR match, it looked like business as usual to me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, as I mean, besides the placement of the match, which I thought was a flaw, I didn't think that was a good placement for the match to follow that MJF Derby match, which turned out to be a freaking classic. But oh, then again, perhaps that match exceeded everybody's expectations, not just mine. Maybe they didn't think it was gonna be that good. <laughs> you know, that's why they put Lucha Bros and FTR there next. I don't know, but. This story is crazy to me because this match looked perfectly fine to me. It looked normal. I had no idea that uh, that Harwood was knocked out. <laughs> I had no idea. And this shows you how true pros do their jobs. You know, these are true pros right here because they carried on the match. And from an outsider like me looking in, it looked like a normal match. Any normal run-of-the-mill... Well, <laughs> Freaking Lucha Bros matches are never <laughs> normal run-of-the-mill matches, right? They do so many crazy freaking spots. Um, but yeah, that is crazy. That is crazy. I'm actually going to re-watch this match. I'm going to go back and re-watch it to see uh, where the knockout happened or where he was. Uh, I don't know if he was knocked out. But I guess they mean like where he got dazed, where he got buzzed. I don't know. I got to see. Um, that's disappointing on the part of Ray Phoenix to not check up on on the guys after the match i will concede that because you know that's tradition in pro wrestling if you give somebody a potato or you you legitimately hurt someone on accident you gotta you gotta roll with them at the end uh, backstage you know and uh make sure they're okay apologize you know hey i did you know it was it was i got caught up bro i got caught up but no um apparently phoenix did not check up on on dax um and I don't know, I, I think it's customary for opponents to then shake hands backstage and kind of go over their match and stuff. So in a way, I kind of feel like 
like this story might be like might trying to stir some shit up i find it hard to believe that lucha bros didn't interact with ftr at all anymore after it was said and done i don't know um but yeah, that's disappointing if true let's just say on the part of ray phoenix who is easily the best high-flying luchador in the world right now easily i'm telling you right now that guy is insane and pentagon is just such an indelible act himself so that is crazy wwe games and 2k officially confirm gm mode for wwe 2k22 hot off the presses this morning folks we have some major confirmations from the horse's mouth regarding wwe 2k22 long awaited 2k22 i should say here are the following features confirmed via the hit list featured in the reveal video which you can youtube uh wwe 2k22 hit list includes a redesigned gameplay engine new controls stunning graphics immersive presentation new wwe 2k showcase my gm mode my faction my rise universe mode uh and of course creation suite as per visual concept, the most important change in WWE 2K22 is in the engine itself. Visual concepts redesigned the gameplay and animation engine from the ground up to make every dive, kick out, and finisher feel as real as if players were sitting ringside at WrestleMania. As soon as players pick up the controller, they'll feel the difference. The updated and incredible intuitive control scheme hits different this year. Configured to ensure that players have more control over every move in every situation, WWE 2K22 is easy to pick up and play while still allowing for high skill expression. There's also a new WWE 2K showcase mode where players can take a walk down memory lane and relive legendary WWE superstars most iconic matches and moments and what we've all been waiting for ladies and gentlemen my gm players will be able to draft superstars book matches manage contracts and prove they have what it takes to run the most successful brand in sports entertainment now all this stuff sounds amazing in theory but it's the execution that counts so oh my god let's hope let's pray y'all and any gamers listening to this let's pray pray say a prayer with me <laughs> that this game turns out to be decent um because it's been a long time since we've had a decent wrestling game i'm talking i mean for me i gotta be honest for me the last good wrestling game in my opinion was smackdown versus raw 2006 <laughs> okay i'm gonna tell you right now that was that's the last wrestling game that I personally had a lot of fun with. Everything after that, it was all downhill from there. I tried 2007. I didn't like how they slowed down the gameplay a little bit. And they, they introduced that, that ultimate control thing where you could walk around with your opponent on your shoulders. Those were cool theories. But in execution, I felt that the feature was too robotic. And it disabled you from having a quick pace like indie type of matchup, you know? Um, I don't know, man. I, to me, SVR 2006 was the perfect entry. Um, I had the most fun with it. In fact, to this very day, SVR 06 is my favorite wrestling game of all time, even more so than No Mercy. Um, that's probably because I had a glitched copy of No Mercy. I had, it, I had the infamous glitched copy 
of WWF No Mercy. That just shows you my luck because uh, no matter what I did, my progress would eventually all be erased. Um, there was, you know, a certain few numbers of No Mercy copies that were released like that. Um, unfortunately, I got one of them. SmackDown vs. Raw, Here Comes the Pain is also often hailed as like one of the best wrestling games ever as well. And it is, it is, but again... In my personal opinion, SVR06, I just had the most fun with it. If this game could be anything like that, man, I'll be a happy camper. You know, I'll definitely check out 2K22 and see what's up. I can't wait for the AEW video game for the consoles. That's also slated for a 2022 release date. Now, I don't think it's going to come out in March like this one. Uh, 2K22 is coming out in March of 2022. But for the AEW console game, if it is to have a 2022 release date, I do not think it'll be in the early portion of the year. I would I would predict a holiday release, you know, Christmas, perhaps a Halloween, perhaps New Year's, like around there. Uh, but that's just my speculation. Nonetheless, I'm super excited for wrestling games to make a return. There's a lot of wrestling games in development. You know, besides AEW and WWE. Jeff Jarrett compares AEW to TNA wrestling. <laughs> okay. Jeff Jarrett, along with his father, Jerry Jarrett, started TNA wrestling back in 2002. At the time, wrestling was attempting to fill the void left by WCW and ECW no longer being in business. TNA Wrestling would eventually turn into Impact Wrestling, which is still going strong today. But it would never reach the heights that WCW once did, or the original TNA for that matter, from my vantage point. Now, All Elite Wrestling is in the number two position and is faring far better as a competitor to WWE than TNA Wrestling did in the 2000s. Speaking with Cage Side Seats' Shaquille Majori, Jeff Jarrett compared AEW to the company that he founded back in 2002 saying, quote-unquote, The most simplistic is the alternative. The similarity is that the alternative, at the very end of the day, I truly believe, and I think Vince McMahon would agree with this, it's the best for business to always have an alternative. It's just what makes business go round. If you're the only game in town, you're not number one because there isn't a number two. The timing when TNA started, coming off the Attitude Era, and the timing when AEW started are radically different worlds. Pre-social media world coming off the Attitude Era. When TBS and TNT canceled wrestling, I couldn't even get a phone call from a network. Fast forward, the big rights fees with NBC and Fox and Peacock situation and Sony around the world in India and all the different markets that have evolved. It's a completely different playing field of 2002 to 2019 in the launch period. The climate is completely different. The television ratings are completely different. When we started on a Saturday night on Spike TV in 05 or 06, not prime time, off prime, 11 Eastern, we were getting 700,000 or 800,000 viewers. On a Saturday night, late night prime, the numbers were different. It was a pre-streaming world, a pre-social media world. When you factor in all that, it's a completely different media market. So is Jeff Jarrett trying to say that AEW has it easier? <laughs> I don't know what he's saying here. Um, 
Now, listen, uh, TNA was actually a very fun wrestling promotion in the beginning. Um, I Now, I didn't watch it in its 2002 days, in its inception, but I did watch it like in 2004 and 2005 is the earliest I seen it. And I thought it was really cool. I thought the X Division and the stuff they were doing there with guys like AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels, the Fallen Angel, right? Kazarian, all those cats. I thought it was really, really cool what they were doing. Um, and I mean, he does have a point. I mean, the landscape of entertainment, of media, I should say, has changed. You know, back in back in the days, wrestling promotions couldn't really rely on social media or the internet as much. It wasn't as prominent. Um, they had to rely strictly on TV. You know, back in those days, without TV, you were you were dead to rights. Whereas nowadays, you see so many indie promotions surviving just off of social media and YouTube, and you know what I mean. They have they have growth in that area. So I could kind of see Jeff Jarrett's point here. I think TNA. They really shouldn't have changed. They really shouldn't have been TNA. <laughs> they went wrong right there from the jump, naming their promotion TNA. <laughs> and I get it. I get what they were going for. You know, they were they, like, like he said, they were just coming out of the Attitude Era. So Jeff Jarrett was trying to keep that Attitude Era flavor by naming his whole damn wrestling promotion TNA. You know, now of course they they said it was called Total Nonstop Action <laughs> Wrestling. But we all know TNA is tits and ass, okay? <laughs> that's what it's associated with. When you hear TNA, you think tits and ass. And that's exactly what they were thinking. And that's what they had in mind. Um, and so that's the, it's a clever marketing, marketing scheme if it's like 1995 or 1996, 97. But in 2002, that's a very outdated approach. And I think that was a huge misfire just with the name off the bat. Now, I know they tried to like, they tried to like uh, paint NWA as a part of their promotion, like affiliated with them. They used to be uh, NWA TNA, I believe it was. So, you know, they, they knew what they were doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? They knew what they were doing. So... And, and I think that when they brought in Hogan, of course, and Eric Bischoff and Vince freaking Russo, I, I don't know. I guess Dixie Carter is responsible for these additions to the creative. And that definitely was not a step in the right direction. I mean, history is known to repeat itself. I don't know how after what happened with WCW, I don't know how Dixie Carter or whoever was in charge thought it'd be a good idea. <laughs> to bring these gentlemen gentlemen in now i have a lot of respect for eric bischoff but um yeah I, I i felt that tna was really cool as an alternative and as a unique entity in wrestling not trying to be something else which clearly in the la in the later stages they were trying to like be wwe and wcw they were just trying to be like them they try to compete with raw by putting impact on monday nights and that didn't even last like a whole ass month. I'm pretty sure that they they, they moved it right back <laughs> to Thursdays or whenever it was. Like a week or two later. You know, I don't know how long it lasted on Mondays. Um, they really banked on Hulk Hogan, right? Appearing on Impact as to being a big ratings grab. What they didn't know is freaking WWE over here brought back Bret Hart. 
you know, to commence a feud between him and Vince McMahon that would culminate at WrestleMania. So they really shot themselves in the foot. Um, that was you, you. You don't move your wrestling show prime time on a Monday night during WrestleMania season. And at that time, you know, Raw was still somewhat decent, unlike the terrible garbage fire that it is today, <laughs> dumpster fire that it is today. Raw was still somewhat decent at that time. So if nothing else, I will say they had incredible balls <laughs> to try to compete with Monday Night Raw, um, but that was an epic failure on their part. Little Red Riding Hood, Becky Lynch is in the news. <clears throat> During an interview with Ariel Hawani on the MMA Hour, Becky Lynch said, AEW is an alternative. She said, quote unquote, I consider AEW an alternative. Their product is different from ours. We offer a different product. Okay. Um, yeah, no shit, Little Red Riding Hood. <laughs> That's why I watch them and not, your, not you. WWE is terrible right now. And I say that as a WWE fan, um, and I'm not a fan of Becky Lynch, as you can see. Um, <clears throat> now, this is a good segue into this story because continuing on with the WWE-AEW comparisons here, Biggie thinks the forbidden door opening between WWE and AEW would be incredible. During an interview on... <laughs> On my mom's basement podcast. <laughs> Great name. Biggie was asked about a potential Forbidden Door crossover between WWE and AEW. He would say, quote unquote, I'm all for it. Speaking for me, I think competition makes everyone better. I have friends over there. I have people who I think are incredibly talented. Might not be friends, but I'm a fan of so much that is going on over there. I know fans love the sniping and love the back and forth. I think it's often entertaining too. It's not really my cup of tea because there are so many people I root for over there. And I think competition is great for everyone all around. I'm glad fans are engaged. It's not my thing, but do you? People love pot stirring and it's interesting. I don't know if it's ever feasible, but is the forbidden door going to be open here between us and them? Well, imagine that. That would be incredible. Something like that, I think, would be really, really interesting. Hmm. I concur. Um, yeah, I think... I think AEW has a better chance of having a forbidden door with a resurrected WCW <laughs> with Eric Bischoff at helm than they have a chance of doing any work with WWE at this stage. Um, it's fun to think about. I, I mean, I could, man, off the top of my head, I could conjure up some dream matches right now. I mean, I talked about it last week, last episode, Ricochet and Dante Martin. That would be a match for the ages right there. That alone would take my pestles. You know what I mean? AJ Styles, Kenny Omega. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I don't I don't even need to say it. I don't need to say nothing about that. Rey Mysterio, Rey Phoenix. I would pay to see that. Espe oh man, a prime Rey Mysterio versus Rey Phoenix though. Oh my god. Xavier Woods said that he wants AEW personalities on the G4 network. So perhaps that's the closest thing we will get to a Forbidden Door crossover between WWE and AEW. 
on the G4 network. You know, they had their relaunch uh, last, last yesterday. And, you know, they're doing it big now. They're going to have a gaming competition in association with WWE next year. Um, there you go. <laughs> That's the only way, guys, you will ever see a crossover between WWE and AEW when you have AEW talents appearing with Xavier Woods on G4. But it's definitely a fun thing to think about and fantasize. I mean, hell, I just got done talking about TNA wrestling. I remember back in the day, you know, on, on the message boards, on the forums, right? Before social media was really popping. We did our, our fantasy matches for a TNA guys facing WWE guys. <laughs> and I remember AJ Styles was prominently featured, you know, as a potential TNA guy facing WWE guys. And now, ironically, AJ Styles seemingly is going to retire over there in, a in WWE. I was about to say AEW. Oh my God, wouldn't that be something? AJ Styles, Hal freezes over and he comes over and becomes all elite. Man, you know, you know, the sky's the limit when you have guys like AJ Styles wrestling in their primes with other guys in the same in the same vein Kenny Omega, Brian Danielson, Jay Lethal. Um dream matches galore, five star city. Take my pesos, take my debit card, take my credit card. <laughs> take it all. I want to thank you guys very much for joining me on this very sloppy episode of the Highlight Reel. I, I got to criticize my own show before I even listen to it. I already know. <clears throat> I I just I have a lot going on right now, guys, but thank you very much for joining me. I will be back for the Rampage review. Tip your waitresses. Tip your Lyft drivers. Don't forget to wash your hands and don't forget to wash your ass. I'll see you on the other side. <laughs>